Okay, if you're able, please stand as we get ready to worship our King together. Praise the Lord. I will sing the Lord with my whole heart. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, studied by all who have pleasure in them. His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He has given food to those who fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. He has declared to his people the power of his works and giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are verity and justice. All his precepts are sure. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprighteousness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Hallelujah. He is great and worthy to be praised.
to the darkness you give hope you restore every heart that is broken says, if I am for you, who could be against you? He has you. He loves you. He wants to be closer to you. And great is the Lord, and he is worthy to be praised. So I just encourage you to just worship him this morning because he is worthy, because he loves you, because he first chose you. He gave his son for you, and he would do it again. That's how much he loves you. It is unconditional. You don't have to earn it. There is nothing you can do for it except say, here I am, and he will come. The door is open this morning, and I just encourage you, if you need to give him something, to give it to him. He will take it for you. Hallelujah.
is the state of your heart. See, notice the song actually gets it right. Some, sometimes it doesn't always get it right, but the song gets it right. It says, come awaken who? Your people. How many are the people of God? Revival, we think revival is about people getting saved. It is, but it starts with the people who already are saved. It's, it's about the zealousness of your heart after him. It, it's about continually dealing with sin in your life. It's about continually committing yourself to him and allowing him to reshape you and to mold you and to change you. It drives you to the altar. It drives you to his presence. It's about you. But, but then when God, when God is doing something in your heart, it always then does what it always turns outward. Then what do you start doing? You, you have a desire for the community, for your city, for your neighbors. Amen? And what do you start doing when you have a desire for that? You start to pray. Because all great revivals are always founded in prayer, in intercession. Amen? But then it doesn't stop with your prayer because at some point in your mind, something clicks. says, i got to be a part of my prayer. Then you start telling people about Jesus. And you start ministering to people. 
at your workplace, in your neighborhood, the people you come in contact with, by the leading of the Holy Spirit. But look, I, I don't want to be a people that, that said, hey, God, send revival, but nothing's happening in our own hearts. That if we want to see God do something that only he can do, if we want to get in on what he's up to, because he's always, he's ever seeking to break into this world and reach out to his creation, to, to those that, that he made. It starts right here. That you are a people who are ever zealous after him, seeking him, chasing him, allowing him to do what only he can do in your life. Amen? So let's be that kind of a people. Let, let, let's be a people that we find ourselves at the altar more than we don't. Let's be a people who prioritize getting in his presence. Let's be a people who quit arguing with him when he asks us to do things. Let's be a people that when we see stuff in the word, we quit making excuses why we don't have to. That we allow God to change us by the power of the Holy Spirit and do a work in us that 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 idea that, that we see of, of new and abundant life isn't just an idea, but it's the life that we live. Amen? Because revival ends up breaking us free because God is doing something that only he can do. Amen? How about, how about we pray? Lord, revive us. Lord, I'm talking about each individual heart in this room right now. Lord, that we're a people that's zealous after you for your presence. We're zealous after you in worship. We're zealous after you in such a way that we will remove anything that gets in between you and us. Lord, forgive us our sins. If you have sin in your life that needs forgiven, all you got to do is ask. The Bible said he is faithful and just and forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Commit your heart to him. In Jesus' name, forgive us our sins. Let's be a people who are being molded and shaped into you in your likeness. Lord, move in our hearts. Move in our presence, Lord. And I pray with that, Lord Jesus, we gain a desire for those around us like we've never had before. It drives us to prayer. It drives us to share the gospel. Let's be a people come to know you in the same way that we are discovering you. Lord, be with us. Very simply, be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a table that you prepared for me In the presence of my enemies It's your body and your blood you've shed for me This is how I find my battles And I
morning, everybody. Good to have you here today. Good morning, good morning. <laughs> live streamers, good to have you this morning, live streamers. And if you're watching us, go ahead and say hi on the live stream and wave at us or say something. We're glad you're watching us. So let's take up tithe and offering. Let's, let's get ready. Hello. Amen, amen. If you have something to give, go ahead and prepare it. If you don't have an offering envelope there in the chair in front of you, or wave your hand around. One of the ushers will help you out. But we're glad you're with us. So as we give today, we pray that uh, blessing is upon you and that God continues to show himself faithful as we give our tithe, 10% of our income, of increase in our offerings, the things the Lord puts on our hearts above and beyond that. Um, if we do that today, we just pray that, that uh, the life of faith that you live is, is growing you and challenging you as we continue to follow Jesus in all areas of our life. You know, Jesus is Lord of all areas of your life, including your finances. I may know that. Yeah, I got about a half response there. Let me say that again. Jesus is Lord of your life, including your finances. I may know that. Okay. Amen. I'm going to pray. When I'm done praying, if you have something to give, you may bring it down. Lord, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for the increase of our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you're teaching us how to live in faith in you. And, Lord, we want to do nothing in our life, including what we do with our finances, how we spend our money, without your direction, your involvement, and your wisdom. So I pray that we live in that in all things. In Jesus' name, everybody says. Amen. Bring it on down if you have something. A um, couple of things that, that are on my mind real quick. The coat rack back in the corner there is getting full of a lot of stuff that people are leaving behind. So please, please check if any of it's yours, because in the near future, it may not be there anymore. All right, that's first thing. I am, not a, I am not a very good keeper of lost and found. So find your lost or it's going to be lost, lost. How about that? As Revelation says, it will experience the second death and be thrown into the lake of fire. Anyways, um, <laughs> also, by the way, if you look out our window, every single little parking lot spot we have in our parking lot is full. And if you, and if you that's cool. And if you come in anywhere near 10 o'clock, you notice that's the case. Just remember. You may park on the streets, but make sure you're up against the curb, especially if you park here. That way there's a, a nice uh, space for people to fit through there. And also, we are uh, allowed to park at the funeral home, which is over here, okay? And if you didn't know that, we have an agreement with them. Sometimes when they're doing a funeral or viewing and they have overflow, they use our parking lot on Sundays and Wednesdays. When we have overflow, we can use theirs. Just you're aware of that. It's a handshake agreement. They're very, very good to us to do that. So just you're aware of that that's available. Um, and if, you're, if you consider yourself top-end, in-shape, you know, kind of person, we just encourage you to kind of park over here. That way some of us who aren't can park here. How about that? Sound good? Um, just help us out. What did you say, Tom? I wasn't going to say that, but Tom said it. That allows the older folks to park here, <laughs> um, and we appreciate that. Anyways, uh, don't forget prayer tomorrow from 6 to 7. Also, don't forget we're continuing our series in Revelation on Wednesday nights. How many of y'all have been enjoying that series on Revelation? 
I, I've been having fun doing it. Uh, we're we're going to get into some nitty-gritty on Wednesday, so uh, be here for that, the book of Revelation. Um, let's see. Don't forget, we're in the midst, one more week left, of our 21-day Sermon on the Mount challenge. As a church, uh, we're being challenged to jump into Matthew chapter 5 through 7 on a daily basis and uh, just see what that will speak to our hearts. I know Christine actually stopped me Wednesday, and she's, you know, she's been reading it every day. She said, you know, this one thing just really started popping out to me, you know, really. And she actually, I think, used the word, been convicting my heart a little bit. So that's kind of the purpose of it. As you're reading the Sermon on the Mount, things are popping up, and yeah, come, let's talk about it. I'd, I'd love to talk about what, you're, what the Lord's speaking to you in that. Um, also, um, this is the third week of the month coming up, and along with the Sermon on the Mount Challenge for 21 days, what we want to do as a church is sometime during the third week of every month is that we uh, take a day and fast. Okay, so that's our challenge throughout 2022. Uh, it's part to teach you to develop a habit of, of fasting, but fasting is emptying yourself out for the greater capacity for the Lord to speak to you. It is learning self-discipline. Uh, there's, there's a lot of different things involved in it, but fasting is another avenue uh, of connection to God. The Bible says that while we're waiting for Jesus to come, that we will fast, right? His disciples didn't fast when he was with them, but after he ascended, they began to fast, and then we will fast until he returns again. And again, it's a connection, it's an emptying of yourself. So this is the third week, so it's a challenge. One day this week, pick a day, and just fast this week, and commit uh, yourself to him in, in prayer and all those different kind of things. So if you have questions about that, you can see me about it. But this is the third week, so that's our, our challenge this week. A uh, couple other things, and then we'll get into the Word today. Uh, New Year, so we're, we're updating our information so these are information cards if you've never filled one of these out we encourage you to fill one out or if you have moved or your information has changed since you have filled one out i encourage you to fill another one out this is just for our information so if that is you wave your hand around and mr sawyer's got some in his hand so if you've never filled one of these out or you got to update your information since the last time uh you filled one of these out okay that just helps me, it's for our records. If we have to contact you, send you something, whatever, that's, this is for my files at the church and my files alone. And last but not least, we're in the midst of a push for our kids' church. And, and if you haven't been downstairs in a long time, all the rooms are ready, available to be used. I know Bill was down there with a group of people this past week, I think, and, and we're ready to expand our kids' church, but we need more volunteers to do so. And we're ready to split uh, out our youngest little ones as kind of a nursery away from the other class and help that. So uh, there's two sign-up sheets being passed. If it's on your heart to do so, sign up. If you're thinking about it, not sure, sign up anyways. That way I can talk to you or uh, whatever the case may be. But if it's on your heart to be involved in kids' church and you are not right now, please sign up. It is a one-time-a-month-only commitment. That's it, one time a month. And uh, we just want to expand our kids' church and do the best we can. We're trying to build the best church, kids' church there is. Amen? Amen? All right. All right, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and get it out. Thank you, Chamberlain. Um, continuing our series entitled The Neighborhood. We know that the scriptures tell us, and Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? What is the best way to live? What must we do uh, that marks us as followers of Jesus? 
And he responded that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? So we are to be people who are following God in such a way that we're growing in him and learning how to love him. Now, it's not uh, inherent in our sinful nature to love God, is it? No, it's something we respond because the Bible says we can love because who first loved us? He did. And God loves us, and everything we do is a response to his love. And because he loves us, we have an opportunity to love him back. Amen. Why, why has salvation come? Because he loves us. He desires to be in right relationship with his creation. That means each single one of us. He desires us, so he loves us. And, and he, we're responding to his love by growing in his love in return. But then he says, but there's something just like it. They go hand in hand. You can't really separate the two from the, each other, from one another. If you're loving him with all of your being, it will teach you then how to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the, the greatest way you can live when you call yourself a Christian is to say, I'm growing in my love towards God because he loves me, and he in turn is teaching me how to treat other people right. That's the greatest way of the, of the Christian life. If you want to boil it down, put it in a, a sentence or two. Loving God and loving neighbor, that's what we're called to do. Amen. So we've been talking about it the last couple of weeks. So the first week, we talked about this. We were sort of defining that. Uh, and as we know, uh, what led us to last week, of the parable of the Good Samaritan, was then we want to justify ourselves. Remember, uh, Jesus was asked, well, who is my neighbor? Well, we know we're supposed to love our neighbor. Then we want to say, but how about I get to choose who my neighbor is? And Jesus is like, it doesn't work that way. So who, who is my neighbor? Well, you got to start, and this is what we said the first week. you got to be so basic about it because when you go so big picture, you lose the basic. Who is my neighbor? Who lives next door to me? Walk out my house, look, there's a house there, unless you live in the country. There's a house there, there, there and you see, these are my neighbors. Direct context, this is who I must love. Or I go to work, and however your, your workplace is set up, if you work in a factory or a doctor's office, or, or if you have your own business, whoever, whoever you're working for, who, is my, who am I seeing at work? This is my neighbor. When you go to Walmart and you're standing in line and you're, you're, you're 10 deep and the person in front of you has so much stuff, you're thinking, I'm going to be here for three hours. But that's your neighbor. Who must I love? All those people. I've got to learn it on, on, a, on a very basic uh, concept. But if, if we're going to go like the lawyer we talked about last week who was questioning Jesus and wanted to justify, well, who, do I really have to love all those people? And Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the Samaritan and the Jews, as we're going we're to pick up another story with the Jews and Samaritan here in a minute. They did not like each other. They were enemies. They did not get along. They both believed they had the proper way of worshiping, and the other was incorrect about it. They both were descendants from the same group of people, but it's sort of like a, a long uh, family split down the road, and they were not getting along. And Jesus, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, makes the Samaritan the hero while the religious leaders, two of them, were the bad guys. 
A man was beaten, robbed, left on the side of the road, and the Jewish religious leaders, the priest and the Levite, passed him by and didn't care. But it was the Samaritan who was an enemy of the person that was laying there actually took care of him. And Jesus said, well, who is the neighbor? The Samaritan. So who is my neighbor? It is whoever I would come across in life that has need. But it begs another question because in that whole, whole parable, this whole animosity between the Jews and, and the Samaritans was highlighted. So question, and what happens when my neighbor is my enemy? What, what happens when the people that I have to directly live life with are opposed to me? Now, I'm going I'm to be honest. I said this Wednesday night. This, I'm going to be super honest right here. This, what I'm about to speak for the next several minutes, is one of the hardest messages for Christians to receive and live in practice. One of the hardest you'll ever find. Because it goes against the very grain of how we have been raised to live life. And, and, it, and it, I'm going to be honest with you, you're gonna, you're, if you listen to me and you really think about it, which is what I hope you do every week, but you know, if you really start to nuance this out in your life, you're going to find questions. You go, wait a minute. What am I supposed to do here? And what am I supposed to do here? And what about this situation? I can't answer those for you. That's why you have a relationship with Jesus. You've got to figure it out. So before I get into this, I want you to think for a second. Who is your enemy? Do you have one? Jesus doesn't get upset at you if you have an enemy. Now, why you have an enemy means a lot. You shouldn't have an enemy because you're a jerk. You shouldn't have an enemy because you treat somebody wrongly. Right? But even when you're living the Christian life as you should, you may end up with enemies. Who is opposed to you? I want you to think about that for a second because I need you to think about that person or this group of people as we talk today. So how many of you can think of somebody you can say, yeah, that's probably my enemy. Anybody? Being honest, yeah. People that may be ideology uh, in, in a way of, of, of expression of life as opposed to how you live. Or you disagree with the things that they want to see happen versus what you want to see happen. The kind of people you think if they weren't here, life would be better. Right? So who is your enemy? How many of y'all have an enemy? Let me see. Be honest. Raise your hand. Okay. Let's talk about this. So Luke chapter number 9. And, and who's back there? Justice or Elijah? I'm going I'm to jump around here in Luke 9 just for a minute. Luke chapter number 9 and verse number 1. Let's just go there. And he, Jesus, called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. He's sending them with the authority to do things that are signs of the kingdom. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay, from, stay there and from there depart. In other words, he's putting them in the direct care of the communities of which they enter. And wherever they do not receive you, watch this. This is important. This is why we're reading this. And wherever they do not receive you, 
when you leave that town, shake the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And, and they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now we're going to jump down to uh, verse 51 of chapter 9. So if you can go there. But what did Jesus tell them? He sent them out to proclaim the good news with the authority to perform signs and wonders, the signs of the kingdom, and, and not dependent upon themselves, but putting them totally in the care of the community, right? But wherever they would not be received... The response to not being received is to simply shake the dust off your feet and go to the next place. Now, notice that was all Jesus said you can do about it, right? Shake the dust off your feet and head to the next place. It's a sign against them that they would not receive you and the, the gospel you were proclaiming. So, so we fast forward it into this chapter a little bit. In verse 51, and when the days drew near for him to be taken up, uh, Jesus, and he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he's headed towards the cross. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. So again, they're entering into a town of a group of people, the Samaritans, that did not have good relations with the Jews, what we were talking about last week. So, so they would have considered, we're going to try to make a place for the night amongst people that we would consider maybe our enemies. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. So there was an issue of, again, where proper worship was. Okay, that, that's one of the biggest things they disagreed about. And when his disciples James and John saw it, what, what is James and John's nickname according to the Bible? Sons of what? Thunder. These guys, these guys sought to bring the business, right? And when they saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Now, earlier in this, this, this chapter, Jesus gave instructions on what to do when you're not received. And what do you tell them to do? Shake the dust off your feet and go find some other place for your lodging. Now, however much time there is in between this, you know, sometimes what we compact into chapters of the Bible actually turns out to be long periods of time. Whatever the time period is, is James and John didn't learn the lesson. They felt, are you kidding me? These Samaritans are enemies. We'll teach them. You want us to call down, remember Elijah? Remember in the Old Testament that the prophets of Baal and they built the altars and, the, and, and whoever's God is real will, will reveal himself in fire and the prophets of Baal will do all these different things and it didn't happen and Elijah calls down fire from heaven. Fire comes down, consumes the altar, then they turn and slaughter the prophets of Baal. James and John are thinking, we're going to be like Elijah here, but instead of burning up the altar, then getting after him, we're just going to do it all at one time. Do you want us to call down fire from heaven and burn these people up? They thought they were being righteous. They thought they were doing something they knew was in the scriptures. Look out. So, growing up, on Saturday afternoons, and some of you who are older will know this, on Saturday afternoons, they often on TV would play Clint Eastwood Westerns. How many know Clint Eastwood? How many ever seen Clint Eastwood? Okay. So a fistful of dollars, a few dollars more, the pale rider. How many know what I'm talking about? 
I loved as a kid, as a kid, I, I still like it, but the, the movie Fistful of Dollars. Have you ever, how many have ever seen Fistful? Okay, so in front of the movie, Clint Eastwood comes riding into town on this little pony, a, a mule, he calls it. And his feet are almost on the ground. That thing is that small, right? And he's riding into town, and he passes some guy, some cowboys, sitting by a fence, you know, and they start laughing. And they come out and surround this little mule and start shooting at its feet, right? How many have seen this? And this thing just takes off running. It's out of control. And Clint Eastwood's going down the street of this town, and there's this, there's this uh, piece of wood coming out where you would hang a sign in front of a, a, a market or the general store. And he grabs it, and the thing keeps running, and he's hanging there, and he just drops down. You know, Clint Eastwood, he's cool. And there's some things that happen, and then he, he turns around, and he starts walking back towards where this thing happened. And while he's walking down the street, he passes an old man. There's always a goofy old man in his movies. There was a goofy old man there making coffins. And he makes a comment about get free ready. He keeps walking down to where these guys were. And you know Clint Eastwood, he's wearing his poncho. He's got his hat on. He's smoking that little stogie thingy that he always has in his mouth, right? And he proceeds to tell these guys that they're going to apologize to his mule for doing what they did. And, of course, you know what they do? They laugh. They think it's funny. Really serious. Do you think we're going to apologize to your animal? No, we're not doing that. And, of course, you know, as, as it always goes, he puts his head down. You can just barely see the you know, little stogie out of his mouth, right? And he flips back his poncho. And you know what's going to happen, right? He just do 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 and kills four of them. Just just wipes them out, right? Does his business, walks back. He walks by, guy making coffins. Sorry, I meant four. Yeah, all right, so that's that's fistful of dollars. As a kid, I'm just what am I doing as a kid? Yes. The bad guys got what they deserve. I had no problem with it. No problem with just killing these guys. You know why? Because they were the enemy. Once you categorize somebody as an enemy, you don't care what happens to them. As a matter of fact, when things happen to them, you feel like it was justified because they were your enemy. And they would simply got what they deserved. Right? Clint Eastwood's the good guy. But really, how good is he? You think about that. Probably not very good, if you think about it. But he's the good guy because we made him the good guy. And those bad guys were bad. They shouldn't have done that. But, but still, how bad really were they? But because we made the distinction, good guy and bad guy, bad guys and enemies, they deserve it. As a matter of fact, if you go way back to the early Westerns, black and white ones, the good guy, the hero, always wore a white hat. The bad guys wore a black hat. It was easy to distinguish. He was the good guy. And the good guy, no matter what they did, it was good. And the bad guy, whatever happened, they absolutely deserved it. No questions asked. Because they just simply deserve it. See, James and John had already identified the Samaritans as bad guys. And then they did something one step further. They thought... Think about this. They thought by refusing them, they absolutely deserved death. Think about that. 
Because they were an enemy, they didn't care. Let's, let's give them the biggest penalty we can give them because they're my enemy. Right? Let's call down fire from heaven and wipe them out. As a matter of fact, I can find a verse in the Bible that can support that. Let's do it. You know, growing up, I was, I was a, a, a younger kid still during the Cold War with the Soviet Union. In my mind, as a kid, everybody connected to the Soviet Union was a bad guy. Everybody who lived there, they must be bad. They got, they're all evil. They're all, every single one of them is evil. Why? Why? They live in the Soviet Union. They're communists. They're evil. So if, it, if I heard, you know what, Soviet Union got hit with five nuclear bombs, it doesn't exist anymore, I probably would have been, good. Could I have explained all the nuances of why they're an enemy? Why? I could explain nothing about it. But they're the enemy. So they get what they deserve. You see what happens in your mind when you categorize somebody as an enemy? You don't care. And you think if they receive the worst thing that can happen, that's okay. As a matter of fact, I may not explain, be able to explain why, but I, I, I bet it's justified. I bet actually God was the one who did it. What's what Jesus says to James and John? Verse 55 is where we stopped off. But he turned and did what to them? What did he do? When Jesus rebukes you, you better pay attention. There's other manuscripts, so the King James has another line there. In the King James, it says, and he said to them, you don't know what spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to, to, to harm, but to save. That's what it says. If you are not of the Holy Spirit, what spirit are you of? So when you feel, now this is where it gets hard. I understand. When you feel because they're my enemy, that they deserve something like fire from heaven, you don't care. You're not active of the Holy Spirit. You're active of another spirit. And whatever's not of the Holy Spirit is the spirit of the what? The Antichrist. Is that right? Because the Antichrist spirit is, is, is at work in this world right now. Amen? So, very strong wording. A sharp disapproval. As the church, as Christians, in witness, we are to be voices of promise and hope based in the gospel. This is the monumental task of the church. You are to be an expression of the newness of life that you have received and, and express that to other people. When you engage the world in the same way it engages itself, angry, loud, mean-spirited, you undermine the hope that you say that you have. You become just like them and think, I'm going to advance my ways by doing it their way. And if you know anything about Jesus, he didn't do it that way. We are to be people of the hope of the gospel. Amen. See, I understand that there are things that we believe we're right about. So as the example of my childhood, do I think our way of living versus the Soviet Union was better? Well, absolutely. Positively. Even as a kid, I could probably tell you some examples of why that was true. 
And we really want to be the good guys. You notice you're never the bad guy in your own mind? Did you know that? You in your own mind are never the bad guy. It's always somebody else. We want to be right. We, ha we have our reasons why we're right sometimes. And we want to be the good guys. But we have to learn to, to start putting the hats away. Taking off what we think is our white hat when it may not be so white. And take the black hat off there because it may not be so black. And start seeing them in the way that Jesus tells us to see them. In other words, in your interaction with the world, when there are enemies in the neighborhood, you may not disregard the basis of Christian character when you are interacting with those you disagree with. Did you hear that? You may not, as a follower of Jesus, disregard the Christian character when you are engaging with those that are your enemy. Because what you're saying is, then I got two lives. I got a life where in this big section I follow Jesus and what he says in this section over here I don't. And I want to do it my way because of how they are. They're loud. They're mean. They're angry. Their rhetoric is, is strong. So in order to win, in order to win, I got to do it like them. But I don't find a whole lot in the New Testament about winning. when it comes to this world. The Bible says, blessed are the what that will inherit the earth. The what? The meek. You, you can be like them and stake your claim on this earth right now, but you may miss the inheritance of the world to come. Where is your treasure supposed to be? Not here. Where is your worry supposed to be? Not here. You can gain this whole entire world and do it by the way of the world, but let use your soul. When you have to disregard the Christian character in order to win and have something, then you've got to rethink what you're trying to gain. Is it really worth living in a way that's contrary to what Jesus says? This is when following Jesus can be hard. This is when you have questions. You've got, you got, you got to work this through, and that's you and the Holy Spirit. And, and I would find if you're just quickly dismissing, I can act this way, I would say you need to reconsider a little bit. Because Jesus said, look, shake the dust off your feet and go to the next town. And when James and John wanted to have violence, and kill them, Jesus rebuked them. He said, you, you forgot the lesson of what we just talked about. How many see what I'm saying? Let me see. Do you know uh, Acts chapter 12, verse number 2, you don't have to go there, tells that James, of James and John, was beheaded. He was a martyr for the Christian faith. Now, I don't know it doesn't say anything about this, but I wonder when he's captured and he knows what's going to happen, if he tried to call down fire from heaven and kill everybody. I wonder. Now, we know that if he did, it didn't happen. But I'm, I'm guessing by the time we get to there, 
he's got past this wiping everybody out thing. That's my guess. It's just a guess. John, and we, we begin to know John as, well, God is love. That, that comes from John in his writing. Something about John changed. They, they went from thunder to thunder, burning people up to martyrdom and talking a lot about love. Something happened to their heart that changed them. I think it was because they kept on with Jesus and started learning some lessons. Amen? Now, Matthew chapter 5. Let, let's jump there. I'm going to cut a section out of my message because I'm going long here. Matthew chapter 5. Let's get back to Jesus. Sermon on the Mount. There's a reason why I was asking you to read the Sermon on the Mount during this series. Because it has something to do with what we're talking about. Things like, listen, things like we're talking about really start to grab hold of your spirit when you spend time meditating on what Jesus said. Do you hear what I, I said? You can't hear what I'm saying today and leave and forget about it Then think, think it, when the next time it comes up, you're going to be like Jesus. You've got to meditate this stuff. It's got to sip, seep from here to here, and there's got to be a change starting to happen in you. Watch what Jesus said, that you would meditate on something like this. Verse 43, Matthew 5, 43. You heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. No, notice that right there. To be sons of God, daughters of God, you've got to learn to love your enemies. Now watch what God does. He makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors do that. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Well, even the Gentiles and unbelievers do that. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That right there is one of the most cherry-picked verses in the entire Bible. You know that? We want to wield them out, throw that sucker out when we want to talk about morality and living right. Okay. But the context of being perfect like your heavenly father is perfect is learning how to love your neighbors. And in that, the test case is learning how to love your enemy. You want to be perfect like God? Start learning how to love your enemy. Then you're really catching his heart. Well, you say, well, wait a second. Whoa, time out. What about all the stuff they do? Remember when we talked in the Psalms about the imprecatory prayers? Remember our series on the Psalms on Wednesday night? And you'll find some psalms where they're praying, God, smash my enemies, break their jaws. You know, what about those kind of prayers? Can I pray that? You know what? I think in the emotions of your life, you can pray as your emotions are. And be honest. But what you do is in that you turn the repaying over to God and take it from yourself and in turn learn how to love your enemy. That's what happens in the psalms. We sang a song today, this is how I fight my battles. Well, how do you fight your battles? Do you live like that song, or is that just a nice one we sing on Sundays? Does God fight your battles? Do you, tr do you trust God to deal with your enemies? That's the big question. 
Do you trust him? Do you fight your battles by giving your battles to him and then surrounded by him and in being how he calls you to be, which is love your enemies as much as you say you love those who love you? This is hard. It's not easy. As a matter of fact, let's, let's jump to, uh, let's see, Romans chapter 12, verse number 17. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Paul writing here said, Repay no one evil for evil. And there, there's different places that, that we find this. This is one of them. But give thought to what you do to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. You see that? That we give vengeance over to God. Because it is only God who is in perfect judgment to do those kind of things. So I think we want to jump to Jesus in, we're on, in Revelations on Wednesday. Revelation. We, we want to jump to Jesus coming back on the white horse, robe dipped in blood, name tattooed. He's got the sword coming out, and he comes to deal with everybody. We're like, that's what I want to do. But that's not you. That's Jesus. And only he can do that in perfect judgment. Because what happens a lot is, as, as it says in Sermon on the Mount, judge lest you be judged. And the measure you use, it's, it's measured to you. Well, I've taken care of all the planks in my eyes, so I'm in perfect judgment. I'll go, ooh. I don't know about that. There may be more floating around your eyeball than you realize. <laughs> you know what I mean? But watch what he says about the enemies. And leave, leave vengeance to God. To the contrary. Oh, my goodness. Watch this. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. In other words, your goodness will bring a fire to his heart. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? The good Samaritan. Remember last week? He didn't ask any questions. He didn't check out who it was, if he knew him, if it was an enemy, didn't look at the color of the skin, didn't look at the social status by how they were dressed, didn't do any of that stuff. He just saw a person in need and went to help. And whoever that person turned out to be, it was the goodness of God. Right? Can we learn that whoever it was at the beginning of service, or a group of people, we thought, they're my enemy. Can we learn this? Even when it's hard? So, so James and John, I wasn't sure if I was going to read this, but I'll do it anyways. I'm, I'm already out there. I'll just jump over the edge right now. This reminded me of James and John. I saw this tweet a long, um, on Twitter a long time ago. I got a King James in my hand and a gun to your head. You better, better cover before you end up dead. Better run for cover before you end up dead. That's, that's James and John calling down fire from heaven. Got a, got a King James. This is an ESV. I got an ESV in my hand. Got a gun to your head. Better run for cover or you end up dead. 
Why, why, why have they got a gun to the person's head? They're my enemy. They did something. Right here. I, I would like to say a person, okay, can I have your gun for a minute? I'll put it. I own guns, okay, I get it, I own them, but let me put it in my pocket. Now let me open this thing you got in your other hand up for a minute. And let's talk for a little bit. But let's talk about loving your enemies and doing good to those who persecute you. Amen? Let's talk about what the gospel message is for that person. How many know what I'm getting at? How many see that? This is not easy. It's hard. But there are certain callings and ways of following Jesus that challenge us in how we think and how we live. This is one of those right there. Amen? Okay. I'll stop there. We're going to pray. We're actually going to take, I'm going to follow it up by taking communion this morning. So, so, ushers, if you can help me out and bring out the communion tables, I'd appreciate that. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about that over this week. Let it roll around in your mind and your heart. Revisit those, those scriptures that, that we read today. There's more in there. You can, you can look this up and uh, find a lot of stuff about how to deal with people in our society in the scriptures. Find them. Meditate on them. See what the Lord would start to speak to you. Amen? Amen? All right, so the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse number 8, that Christ demonstrates his love for us in this. Now, listen to this. That Christ demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, when you were separated from God, scripturally, you were an enemy of God. While you were an enemy to God, lost in your sin, Christ demonstrated his love for us in dying on the cross. He, he didn't come and wipe you out and call down fire from heaven and burn you up. He actually died for you. And here is the example of how we try to nuance our life in this world. That Jesus went that far for those that were opposed to him. That's the Jesus way. When, when Jesus makes comments like, pick up your cross daily, deny who? You. And follow who? Him. It's a call to self-sacrificial love in life. That's the crux of it. When the disciples heard that, Jesus hadn't died on the cross, but they knew all about cross. They knew all about crucifixion. They, at that moment, they heard Jesus say to them, if you follow me, you're going to die for me. And, and, and the thing was, they kept following him. Even if men, as most of them later in time, lost their life for the gospel. That we would have the same attitude. That, that some, listen, I'm, listen, it's hard. Somehow, some way, my life in all things is reflective of what this table represents. Self-sacrificial love. That you're more worried about a kingdom not of this world than everything you can try to have in this world. But where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Amen? 
So if you would like to, come forward, kind of make your way in the middle and, and filter back. Come, come take the elements of communion and we'll partake together when you get to your seat. Stand back up on your feet, please. The broken body shed blood that Christ became obedient to death, even death on the cross, as it says in Philippians chapter 2. That the kingdom of God, the way to bring salvation to this world, is through self-sacrificial love. Not conquering the world, but dying on the cross for the world. Amen. And it is in love that the kingdom grows. The kingdom is established. The kingdom lives. And the kingdom that draws forth the kingdom of an eternal kingdom. Amen. Lord, we thank you for taking our place on the cross. Allowing your body to, to go through what it did in that, that crucifixion, the beatings that led up to it. Being nailed to that tree taking on the curse of our sin. Father, I pray that this is an example to us of how to approach the world that we live in, that the same kind of world that you live in. There's not much new under the sun. That we are people who live in this manner. The Lord Jesus, thank you for doing what you did for us partake of the bread together.
And Lord, in the forgiveness found of your death on the cross is because of your shed with blood. Blood that washes away our sins, wipes us clean, makes us whole, justified and living sanctified. I pray, Lord Jesus, as we live in this newness of life that you've given us in new creation, Lord, that, that we, we are never, never stopping, never, never stop growing and learning and changing to be more like you because that's what abundant life really is. We don't sell ourselves short, but the fullness of who you are, that we live in that. We live by it and we live for it. But we thank you for shedding your blood for our sins. Let's partake in a cup this morning. Just for a minute, just worship him, just for a minute. We praise you, Jesus. And we worship you. And we give ourselves to you today. Lord, Lord we, we were talking in our worship about revival, that it has to start in our hearts. I pray we're zealous after you. We're allowing ourselves to grow in you in all things. We just praise you today and we worship you today. High above. For your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so here's the deal. I've, I've been preaching for, like I said, 20-some years. And I've preached this sort of message in this way more than a dozen times. And like I said, I, the reason I said what I said is I know this is hard. If you have questions, you have, have things you want to talk about, I'd love, I'd love to talk to you about it, okay? And I'd love, love maybe to help nuance situations, okay? But let, let the Lord do what only he can do in your heart, amen? All right. Well, one final thing, I'll get you out of here. In, in a bit of bad news, but very good news, my son and daughter-in-law, they're moving to Nashville on Friday. And starting a, a new life there. It's great. It sucks all at the same time, I'll be honest. But what I'd like to do is, is send them off with prayer this morning. Okay, so if they come on down, if anybody would want to join, I might have Tom lead the prayer if you would. But, but if they would come down, if you want to pray with them, uh, just come on down. We'll lay hands on them and bless them as they go. And, and like I said, let's have Tom lead them in prayer this morning.